people can head on out for our time in the Word today. We have a wonderful privilege this morning. Looking forward to it at the conclusion of the service. Uh, we have a young lady that has put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, wants to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and uh, that is always a blessing. So uh, Corinna uh, has recently been saved and uh, shared her testimony, and so is ready to publicly let you know that she's trusted Christ, so we're excited about that today. Uh, also today, it's been, just been, been a, a great time. It's, it's good to have a visitor. Ray is from Alaska, visiting with us today, and, uh, and came, came all the way from Alaska just to hear me preach today. <laughs> Why are you all laughing? I can't believe it. No, he found us online and, uh, and thankful for that. We're looking for the right kind of church, an independent fundamental Baptist church, and uh, wanted to be in a place where... Uh, the word is preached and uh, where uh, we sing the great hymns of the faith. So it was a blessing to see someone who's looking for that. It's good to have you, sir. It's good to have the Umsteads here today. I got someone to give a hard time to this morning. This is great. It's wonderful. I hope you're ready. <laughs> I mean, I have it all stored up now. It's been two months, you know. It's just, oh, I'm excited about today. Right. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Not, not going to give you a chance to say a word. So, no, it is, it's good to have the Umsteads, uh, Umsteads back. And, um, and so I, I want to say they're moving back to the area, but they're not. So, uh, but it's good to have them here today. We've actually enjoyed uh, some time with them the, this weekend. So uh, came in came in Friday and was able to be at the men's prayer breakfast yesterday. So that was good. And then... Uh, and then just uh, to have them here today is a joy. So it's a blessing to have you back. I, that's the only nice thing I'm saying about you. That's it. It's done. All right. But it is good to have you uh, here. And you're in Romans chapter 10, I hope, by now. And uh, you're ready to go and dig into uh, God's word as we uh, contemplate and as we do want to keep before us. I, I always um, am thankful for the opportunity every year uh, having a missions emphasis um, uh, pushes pushes me as a pastor to to think about uh, think about missions to think about our great responsibility and it gives me the wonderful privilege to as well put that before you and it's important for us to do that and I'm thankful that we take four weeks uh, to look at that we don't always preach every week on the matter of missions but uh, we started last week looking at Romans chapter 10 and we looked at the first part of it. Uh, although we read verses 14 to 17, we focused on pretty much the first uh, nine or ten verses of Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look uh, at uh, a few verses in that, and then we're going to continue on. So if you look at verse 14, we'll begin there and read just a few verses and pray together. The Bible says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Isaiah saith Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Important truth for us to think about today in the matter of missions. Let's pray. Father, I am very grateful that uh, you've given us your word. 
and that the word has the words of life in them, that this is a living book, and that this amazing book given by inspiration of God not only has the answers for eternal life, but abundant life. And I pray that today you'd help us to be clear that we would, from the word of God, that the preaching would would uh, help God's people see the great responsibility we have, the great opportunity we have to be bearers of the wonderful news that there is life in Jesus Christ. So stir us about that today. Help us, Lord God, to be missions-minded here, not just concerned about foreign missionaries and getting the gospel to the world, but help us to be burdened about getting the gospel to our neighbors to those around us, those we come in contact with, those whom you put into our path each and every day. And Father, if you'll do that this morning, if you'll stir our hearts about that once again, I'll be very grateful. And I pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter Ramsey was sharing his testimony. He said this, 1969, the year that Apollo 11 landed on the moon and Neil Armstrong became the first person to walk on it. Woodstock happened. 500,000 people attended a three-day concert in upstate New York, making it the largest rock concert ever, as if we were really interested in that. Senator Edward Kennedy drove off a bridge after a party, and uh, Mary Jo, I can't even say her last name. Uh, anyway, she, she died. Sesame Street made its debut. These are exciting things, aren't they? Um, Charles Manson cult members murdered five people. The first ATM was installed in Rockville, New York. The Brady Bunch premiered. All right, memories. Richard Nixon became the 37th president of the United States of America. And Peter Ramsey struck it rich. Well, he went on. And he said, you can research world events for the year 1969, and you'll not likely find any reference to what you're about to read. But I want to share with you my personal story of how I became wealthy. To me, it's the, most, the single most important event, not only in 1969, but in my entire life. It was quite a shock, he said, for me to discover I had no chance of ever making it to heaven based on personal merit. Somehow... I thought to myself that I would qualify. After all, my parents read the Bible to us every day. As far back as I can remember, reading the Bible and praying to God was a daily activity for my parents as they raised the six of us in our family. If attending church improved my chances of being accepted by God, my score has to be high. As a minimum, uh, several times a week, our family attended meetings and listened to messages from the Bible. <laughs> primarily because my father was a pastor. Said my father, uh, once a big-time party animal and fiddler, ended up becoming a gospel preacher. His life had been completely changed. I could see reality in the lifestyle of my parents, the reality of Christianity. But as for me, I was empty. No peace. I memorized verses from the Bible. I attended Sunday school, and for the most part, behaved reasonably well. If getting to heaven was something like accumulating air miles or personal merit points, I had a head start on most people. 
But something was missing in my life. I had no personal relationship with God. The connection that a lot of Christians that I saw around me, real Christians, had just was not there for me. So, often when I was alone, I think about where I'd be in 100 years. And I worried about it. I was concerned about the future. I felt vulnerable and exposed when I thought of God because he could see right through me. As good as I appeared on the outside, he knew what I was really like. I didn't like the uneasiness, the lack of peace, the bad conscience, the absence of joy and security in my life. I tried to ignore my spiritual problem. I tried to cover up my emptiness and hide my worries. I enjoyed my friends. Our common ground, though, was music and general neighborhood fun, and and I loved those things. I did well at school and my, my home environment. It was stable. It was loving. But despite all the positive things in my life, I was hounded and haunted by the fundamental question of my status with God. And I came to the point where I wasn't any willing any longer to cross my fingers and take a chance. 1969 was the year I stopped running from the question of where I would go when I die. On June 2nd, 1969, I cried out to God with words to this effect. I am helpless. I am a sinner. I am going to hell. Lord, save me. For the first time in my life, I looked away from myself and I looked to God. Historians probably don't rank my life-changing, decision-altering experience very high in their analysis of noteworthy events in 1969. It's not on any list anywhere, but that's okay. It may never make it to the history books of this world, but the Bible tells me my name is written in God's book of life in heaven and will never be erased. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? I hope you can share something similar. Maybe not the same year, because you're not even close to that age. You don't even remember 1969. Maybe not the same experiences. Maybe it's not the same background. But the truth is, if you have never been saved, you need to be. And so is the message that God gives us throughout his word. And so Paul in Romans chapter 10 deals with that subject. As he, in these three chapters as we shared with you last week, are helping the Gentile Christians at the church at Rome understand some things about how God has begun working with the Gentile world. In chapter 9... Chapter 10, chapter 11, Paul goes to great lengths to help them understand that he had a burden for and he had a desire to see the Jews, the Israelites, one to Jesus Christ. But they had, their eyes had been covered, if you will. He explained the fact that it explains the fact in these chapters that God has grafted in uh, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's grafted in the Gentile world. By the way, I'm very grateful for that. That God opened salvation up to all men, if you will. Salvation was primarily a thing that was found of the Jews and of the Jews alone until Jesus Christ came. And the message was then preached and the gospel started to spread throughout the world. 
And as he writes to the church at Rome, he expresses to them that, yes, the Jewish world basically was where salvation was held, but now... Because of Christ and because God planned it before the world began, the gospel is opened up to the Gentile world, and you're part of that family. And in Romans chapter 10, he explains what happens, and he talks about this matter of salvation. And it's a wonderful passage because in these verses, Paul describes his desire for his fellow countrymen in verse 1. He explains their great need for Jesus Christ and how they are trying to win their way to God and their own righteousness in verses 1 to 8. He talks in verses 9 to 13 about how they have been given the message and how Gentile, the Gentile world now, in fact, the entire world has heard the message of the gospel as it's opened up to all men, verses uh, 9 to 13 and verses 14 to 17. In verses 18 to 21, he says, the Jewish world has rejected the message, and that's why God has opened it up to all men. And by the way, God is using the Gentile world today, those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you would, to be a thorn in the Jews' side to remind them that God now is working with the Gentile world, but God still wants them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is the message of this chapter. So I'd like you to see and, and learn from it some things that we need to know because it's a great passage that teaches us about the matter of missions and about the great need of this world. So first, would you see from our passage today, God's program for reaching a lost world. God's program for reaching a lost world. Verse 17 brings out this fact, the last verse we read. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It is the preaching of the word of God that people need to hear if they're ever going to be saved. In fact, it's interesting, if you go back to verse 8, when Paul is describing what's been going on with the Jewish world, and then in verse 9 as he starts to talk about it, he says this at the end of the verse. He says, well, let me read the whole verse. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Now, what is the word of faith that we preach? How do you say, well, what was Paul talking about? And what was that word of faith? And what was he preaching? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because the passage before us actually has it. Look, if you would, at verse 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and verse 13. Those verses describe this message of faith, the, the faith in the word of God. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, that is God's program for reaching a lost world. It's through preaching, and it's preaching a message of faith. I've told you this before, but every once in a while we get different uh, things. For a while at the church in the mail, we were getting newsletters from a church of Christ. That may sound like a rather strange thing, but we were getting newsletters from a church of Christ. Actually, I think it was the one... It's over on Goose Creek Bypass, just a, a mile or so away, and they were just doing mass mailings. Well, when they do mass mailings in their area, guess what? where it goes. All right, so we were getting these, these uh, Church of Christ newsletters, and, uh, and so it was a great, great opportunity for me to, you know, read the Church of Christ newsletters, uh, and it was rather intriguing, but one of the first ones that ever came to our church 
with numerous articles, had, had this question, and it was just these three words, is belief enough? The whole article was answering that question, is belief enough? It tried to answer that question. In fact, as it began in the letter, I don't have the exact words, but it basically asked this question, can faith alone save someone? The article argued from the very onset that faith alone cannot save, but that one must follow the whole gospel. And in that article, then, they continued to talk about the steps which are necessary to salvation. Uh, they talked about faith, certainly, in Jesus Christ, but they also talked about baptism and how baptism plays a role. And they talked in that letter about how repentance is, is uh, an important message. And uh, so there's uh, some, I, I, I don't remember exactly what it was because I have actually read materials from the Church of Christ and I've seen both six, I've seen eight, and I've seen ten different ways that, uh, that people describe being saved. But let me tell you something, the message in the Bible is a message of faith. There isn't anything else added to it to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the message of salvation is faith and faith alone. Now we could support that from numerous passages of scripture, but our text for today says that very clearly. In fact, he says in verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In verse eight, he brings that out. He says, look, it was a word of faith and the word of faith we preached. And the word of faith which he preached was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. It's a message of faith and faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I am so thankful for that. My salvation is not based on my faith in myself. It's not faith in my efforts. It's not faith in the fact that my parents, kind of like Peter Ramsey's parents, were, were godly folks. My dad wasn't a preacher. But they loved the Lord, and they taught us the Word, and they read the Word, and we read it as a family daily. Each night at supper, we had a family altar. And, uh, and my parents taught me in the things that were right, and they had me in church all the time. I mean, as, as often as the preacher, sometimes earlier than the preacher who, came, who lived next door to their church, we were there. And we were about the last ones to leave. Didn't always like that as a kid, but uh, it was just something that my parents did. I was in church all the time, and I was very religious, but I was not saved until I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I am thankful that salvation is independent and, it, and, and doesn't depend upon my living, my actions, my deeds. It's dependent upon what someone has done for me already, and I need to put faith in that, and it is faith alone that saves. And it's faith, by the way, not in what people think, but it's faith in, found in the word of God. Notice verse 17 again, and we're trying to emphasize this first because people need to understand this. Faith comes by hearing. But what do we have to hear? It's not men's opinions, not men's ideas. It's not men's thoughts. We need to hear what God has said, and God has given us his word. It's called the Bible. By the way, the gospel is not in the Koran. The gospel is not, oh, you may be able to find verses that actually will point to and, and even refute, refute some of the things that, that uh, these different religions believe. It's not found in the Book of Mormon. The gospel is found in the Word of God. Book of Mormon isn't the Word of God. The Koran is not the Word of God. The, the writings from the Watchtower Society are not the Word of God. 
The Bible, the Word of God, has the answers for life. It has the answers about faith. And if you're going to have the right kind of faith, it has to be based on the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And he talks about, and he shares the Word of God in verses 9 to 13 once again. So it's found in the Word. You know, the testimony I shared about Peter Ramsey, I actually covered a number of other details, but you would have fallen asleep. That's why I had to, you know, edit it a little bit. Um, But it was very clear that he understood these things. And here's what he said. He said, I'll never forget the evening I climbed the attic stairs of 32 Gerald Street in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, our homestead. I had just eaten a special bedtime snack of lobsters. That sounds like a rather interesting bedtime snack. With pressing matters on my mind, the lobsters didn't seem to be quite the delicacy they usually were for me. I was preoccupied with spiritual matters. I bowed my knees beside my bed. I knew I had to be honest with God, but it was hard that night. I told him I was a sinner, but I wanted to qualify admission of guilt. Yes, I've done some wrong things, but I'm not bad enough to go to hell. There are many people who deserve to be there, but I don't. But on my knees, I opened the Bible. And I read a number of passages that my parents had taught me and I had memorized and I had known for a long time. I looked at Romans 3, verse 23, and I realized and I reminded myself, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. I I read Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And none other verses came to mind. By grace... Are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And the Bible was clear. I couldn't get to heaven on personal merit points. I had none. I was a sinner. I couldn't hold anything up to God and tell him to accept me because of my parents, my decent behavior, my religious upbringing. The very last thing I wanted to do was let go of the things that I thought earned me favor with God and gave me a special status. But that night on my knees, I learned from the Bible the only status I had with God was that of a helpless sinner. Without the word of God, no man ever has been saved, no man ever will be saved. It is the word of God that has the answers and shows us what our faith must be in. And God is clear. It's found in the word. It's faith found in the word. And it's faith that's shared by God's people. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, there's something that's interesting. As I spent time studying this passage, you know, he ends up talking about Elijah. I'm sorry, Isaiah, excuse me. In Isaiah's writings, he talks about Moses and what Moses wrote. And there's some very interesting things that he shares in the verses that close this chapter that you're not going to look at now and pay attention to because you're paying attention to the message. But you can read it sometime. It's very interesting. But you know what's interesting to me and something that came to my mind is this. From the time of Moses until the time of Jesus Christ and now from the time of Christ until the end of time, God has chosen to give his word to people, and they are to tell people. You say, what? You mean even in the Old Testament? Yes. Do you remember when God gave his word? Really, it was at the Ten Commandments. When God gave his word and Moses wrote 
the, the, the commandments that God gave and then followed by writing all the law, do you remember what the people said? Don't let God talk to us. They were afraid. So God talked to Moses. Moses wrote these things down. Then he went down and he shared with the people God's word so that they could believe. That's true. When Isaiah got up, he said, Lord, who hath believed our report? It's even mentioned in this passage because Isaiah had the same problem. He was getting up and here's what God did. God sent prophets. Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, God sent all sorts of prophets to the children of Israel to give them God's word so that they could believe God's word and actually save themselves from a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble in life because that has been God's method. It's been God's method for thousands and thousands of years since the Bible was first penned by Moses, the first five books of the Bible. That has been God's method. He gives his word and then he uses preachers. So what's going on today is not something that's just been going on for 2,000 years. Quite honestly, it's been going on for about 5,000 years where God has communicated his word and then when his word has been written down, men have communicated that word to people and that is how God has designed this message to go forth. God today uses the method of preaching those who are believers in Jesus Christ to share with people the word of God so that they might come to faith in God. You know what? I, if people are left in the dark, it's because some part fails in this message. But let me tell you something. There's no problem with faith. Faith still works. There's no problem with the word of God. Do you know where the problem rests in these verses? It's enough if no one goes so they can hear. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Um, I've already told you that for our, commission, our Missions Commitment Sunday, um, I ordered on the 10th of this past month um, some things that I'm hoping will come in, and I'm still hoping will come in. Uh, I, I called this past week on the 27th, 17 days later, because I hadn't received it. And the lady I spoke with said, well, I can't find your information. Now, you'd never want to hear those words when you call someone. Can't find your information, but I'll check into it a little bit further. And I assume, she said, since you ordered on the 10th, we are behind in our orders, but I assume that you'll probably be receiving it in a day or two. So that's kind of how it was left. She said she would check further and get back with well, a short time later, a man called and said, <clears throat> there's a part of your order we don't have, so we've been waiting until we get everything to ship it. No one told me that. Now, I don't know about you, but it's kind of frustrating, you know, when no one tells you. Have you ever had that happen? It's kind of like, well, if someone had just shot me an email, if, if someone had just, you know, called, if someone had just... In some way responded, they have my email address. I mean, it really wasn't all that hard. If they had told me about the delay, I, I, could, have, I could have said, hey, I need, this, I need this now. Can you send what you, what you have? Or let me cancel the order. I'll try to order it somewhere else. I mean, there were a number of different things that maybe could have been done. And, and it's kind of frustrating when you're left in the dark about something because someone neglected to inform you. And I thought about that when I thought about what we're what, we're trying, what we see in this passage and what we're trying to emphasize this month. Um, 
Now, look, I, my frustration um, might be something that affects our services in two weeks and what we do on our missions commitment Sunday. Okay? Big deal. It's really not a huge deal. But if someone is left out in the dark about the gospel, it's a big deal, people. Now, I understand my frustration as a person who's made an order and no one's communicated with me and no one's told me this is what's going on. And if you'll just be able to wait a little bit on it, I could have said, I really can't wait. I need something soon. And so could you send it? But no one communicated those things with me. And I understand my frustration. I wonder, I really wonder if there will be great consternation and frustration with people who end up in hell someday about the fact that no one told them. In, in the day of judgment, it, it, it seems evident in Revelation that we're going to be there when, when those whose names are not written in the book of life are cast in the lake of fire. By the way, it talks about God wiping away tears after that event. I, I don't, we can't explain everything about it, but I can't help but imagine that that's going to be a very sorrowful time. Not just for those who are cast into the lake of fire for all eternity, but for those who knew them, loved them, maybe for those who never told them. Will anything be said by people? I don't think so, because they will bow the knee, it says. But if I'm frustrated because someone hasn't informed me about something that isn't all that important, how much more so should people be when those who have a message that brings life and means eternity don't say anything about it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word works, faith works, but they've got to hear, and someone has to share the message. We use the word missions. Mission, the word mission, missionary means sent one. The Morrises aren't the only sent ones in this room. God may have them and desire for them to be in Ecuador. But God desires for you right now in Franklin, in Spring Hill, in Thompson Station, wherever you might find yourself, to be a witness of the faith that brings life. And so our passage reminds us God's program for reaching a lost world is preaching a message of faith found in the word dependent upon people to share it. So then we see God's plan which needs to be preached. Say, I'm not a preacher. Well, actually, you're called to be one. I think some of the prophets felt the same way. Jeremiah didn't want to preach. God called him. God put a fire in his heart where he couldn't keep his mouth shut. 
the truth of the matter is you may not feel like I'm a preacher. I don't have that ability. I don't know what to say. But that has an answer found in our text. Please, please notice what Paul said. He said that word of faith at the end of verse 8 that we preach. And the message then is verses 9 through 13. And we've already read them. And the message really is simple. Some people make it so complicated. I talked, we talked about the church of Christ. Six things. You've got to know these six things. You've got to know these eight things. You've got to know these ten things. Depends on what church of Christ person you're talking to. And I'm thankful that the message isn't dependent upon which person you're talking to. It depends wholly on the word of God and the message of faith is found in these verses. And if you know these verses, you can win someone to Jesus Christ. It's not that complicated. You don't have, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't, I don't know those things. Look, Paul said, we just preached this message. He changed up his message all the time. You can go through the book of Acts and find his messages. At one point, one of his messages, what, what, one of his messages was very simple, and I can't get out the message. There we go. And the message was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He didn't have a lot of time. And boy, wouldn't you like a message like that from me sometime? That was the message. The Philippian jailer came to faith in Jesus Christ. I suspect, though, because they had been singing psalms and they had been praying, that they had already been doing a lot of witnesses before that event and that the, the jailer, because the jailer heard them. But whether or not, the message was very simple there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In this passage, he shares very simply the truth. Look, if you would, then, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So what's the first thing that I, we need to know? I need to be saved. By the way, that was talked about back in verse 1. My prayer to God for Israel, Paul said, is that they might be saved because he knew that all Israelites, all Jews needed to be saved. He also knew this, all Gentiles need to be saved. You can find that taught even in our passage in verse 12. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. All people need to be saved. All people are lost. And that is the first part of the message. I need to be saved. You say, well, where is that message? Verse 9, at the end of the verse, thou shalt be saved. Uh, verse, uh, 11, uh, verse 10, uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Look at the end of verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the message is, the message that needs to be preached is, you need to be saved. Well, why do I need to be rescued? Why do I need to be saved? What's going on in my life? Well, that can be described in a number of different ways. We could look at different passages, but the simple truth is I'm lost. Jesus said this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost in Luke 19.10. He was doing that job throughout his ministry as he preached the word of God. So his message was, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. All mankind needs to be saved. When speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus said, ye must be born again. When he spoke to the woman at the well, you know what he said? He said, you've had five husbands. The man you're with isn't your present husband. And you know what that told her? I need to be saved. My religion won't save me. My faith, my, my faith in my religion won't save me. I am a sinner. Jesus Christ talked to a rich young ruler who was focused on money. And, and Christ said, you need, to, you need to give up your money. And come and follow me. He said, why? Because someone gets saved by giving up their money? No, Jesus was getting at the heart of it. You need to be saved. Because you love, 
you are a sinner and you love your sin. And you need Jesus Christ. All men need to be saved. That is the, the first part of the message. And that message is needed because in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter, a lot of people try to establish their own righteousness. Everyone thinks, I can get there in my own way. I think God will accept me if... Come on, have you asked that question? If you die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And if they say, well, yes, I think so. That's usually how it is. I think so. I'd like to hope so. You say, well, if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? A lot of times, it's all based on, here's what I think my righteousness is. So if I'm a good person, if I go to church, if I do good deeds, and God says, no, you need to be saved. In the Bible, and the message in the word of God is, you need to be saved. You're a sinner, you need to be saved. The second part of the message, very simply is, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead to save me. What do you need to believe? That Jesus came to this world to save sinners, that he is the Lord of all, and Jesus, the one who can save from sins. And by the way, I, I hate how people want to take these verses. I, I mean, the Calvinists take chapters 9, 10, and 11, and they all do all sorts of things to distort the, the I even think the, the truth, sometimes even the truth of the gospel. Um, and then we have other people that want to take this passage and preach lordship salvation. And, and we have other people that take this passage and talk about the sinner's prayer is a bad thing, which is kind of interesting because he talks about saying things with your, with your mouth. And we have people arguing verses rather than explaining them very simply in what they say. And here's what it says. You have to understand that, that Jesus Christ is not just a, a, a good human being. He is Lord. He is Lord of all. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is the one who existed before the world began and will continue to exist after he's eternal. He is, he is God come in the flesh. He is the Lord. And that, that Lord left heaven's glory and came down to this earth for one main purpose, and that was to save people from their sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that's what these verses say. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And you have to believe repentance. And you have to believe this. And you have to be baptized. And you have to. And God says, no. God says, no. It's simple. So I need to be saved. I believe God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead to save me. And this one as the Lord and Savior who's risen from the dead can give me eternal life. Say, well, how do I get it? Faith. It is interesting to me. Um, and in fact, recently I was asked the question about the sinner's prayer. I, I, I've heard messages about the evil of it, and I don't want to get off on the subject because this passage is just so simple and so clear. But sometimes things need to be answered. So let me just take a minute on this. I know that people teach a plan of salvation and they kind of have this method that people go through, the Romans road, and then they just get people, sometimes by hook and crook, to say some words. And if you'll say these words, you'll be saved. Just follow, say these words after me. And I understand that preachers who preach against that 
have issue, and I understand some of the issues, but, but let me also say this, okay? The Bible says, whosoever shall, you, you, you tell me, what's that next word? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, wait a second, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Yes, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You say, well, then they have to say some sinner's prayer. Can they say it in their heart? Um, sure. Get into technicalities. But the idea seems to be in this passage, and he says it over and over. He says it in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says it over and over, that when someone believes in the heart, there's going to be a verbal assent to that. And that these two things come together. It's kind of like repentance and faith. You, you, you can't faith without repentance. So, so when people make a big deal about those, those terms, it's sad. You can preach, believe. If someone believes, they have to repent. Repentance is a change of mind. If someone believes, they'll call. And these two things are, are talked about in this passage. Well, calling is a work. God doesn't say that, but he does say four times in this passage that someone needs to call. So I must call on the Lord to save me. In faith, in my heart, believing, and then call upon the Lord. Is there a sinner's prayer? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what the... Um, that's what the sinner prayed when um, he was in the temple and he went to his home justified. Um, the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me. Didn't hear anything about sin there. But Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me. Paradise. Well, what words have to be said? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves the call. The words don't matter, but God does urge us to call. You say, why would God have us do that? Because he already knows what's going on in the heart. <laughs> Maybe because he knows as human beings, if we just do something in our mind, we're going to battle with it the rest of our lives. And then maybe he just said, you know what? Just call in the name of the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and when you're believing on him, call on him, and it'll just help you. <laughs> it won't help me, because I already know faith in the heart, but it'll help you to just confess and to say outwardly, I believe Jesus is the Christ. And whether those words are, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, or Lord, remember me, or well, I don't even remember the words, but I know I called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. It's that simple. So, by the way, the Bible says you need to confess with your mouth. You know what the, confess with your mouth means literally? It means to say the same thing. I need to say the same thing as God. I need to be saved. Jesus took my place. He died. He rose again. And that's what I need. 
So it's that simple. A, B, and C in my outline. I talk, talk about it being as, as easy as A, B, C. I've got to admit, I need to be saved. I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then call upon him to save me. And he will. And he will. And let me tell you something. If you are all bent out of shape because of what I just talked about, because you are really all about this, this sinner's prayer and all this other stuff, then you have missed the wonderful teaching of this, these verses. And it's sad. Because the gospel is not complicated. And too many people try to make it an impossible thing. But the fact is, anyone that's saved can tell someone about it. You can lead someone to Christ if you've been saved. It's not that difficult. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. I'm thankful that my sister, when she was four, could call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Corinna, when she was seven, could trust and the Lord would save her. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You can do it. It's that simple. And our passage tells us that. Number three, God, God's promise to all who respond to the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 12. I love this. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto everyone that's elect that calls on him. Please call me on the carpet about that one. Because that's not in the Bible. It's not taught there. He's rich unto how many that call on him? Say, only the elect will call on him. That's not what this passage teaches. It's not what the Bible says. God says, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter who you are. If you realize you're a sinner, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, he rose again from the dead, you can be saved. Call on him. It's that simple. And the, the truth is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. doesn't matter your upbringing. doesn't matter your wealth. doesn't matter anything about your social status. None of that matters. What matters is whether or not you're willing. And then verse 13 makes it clear, doesn't it? It, it continues in that thought. Okay, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in the midst of a passage that's used, sadly, by people who think God has limited salvation to only a few select people, God teaches very clearly that salvation is for everyone and anyone. And it doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can call. And that is a precious promise. You can be, you can be beautiful or ugly. Isn't that good? I mean, hey, look, I got saved. <laughs> so, so you can argue any ugly person can be saved. Right, Brother Rumstead? <laughs> Amen. All right. You knew it had to come sometime in the message. All right, there you go. Anyone could call. Wicked, religious, young or old, rich or poor, intelligent, ignorant, black or white. It doesn't matter who it is. 
Anyone can call. So then, so what's the problem? You know, you know what the problem is? Here, what's interesting, if you take time to read it, and you're, we're not going to, but as he closes out the chapter, there's two things, two problems he reveals. I, and, and he doesn't really reveal the one as a problem, but it is a problem. Someone has to go. And so the problem would be, in some cases, goers, okay? But also, the other problem is hearers. And sometimes people don't go. You know why? Because, well, I've tried to share the gospel, and I've tried so many times, and I failed. Well, have you failed? God doesn't always say someone's going to hear. In this passage, he talks about the Jews, and he says, you know what? They didn't hear. They rejected it. They didn't believe. They weren't willing to accept it. See, the responsibility is not upon the person who, who shares. The responsibility is the one who hears. It is our job to share, but it's up to the hearer to say, I'm going to believe that or I won't. And the truth is, that's not to be my concern as a Christian. I, sure, I, I'm concerned about that in the sense that I want someone to be saved. And we should have that heart's desire. And we talked about that last week. And Paul talked about how he had that heart's desire that Israel would come to faith in Christ. And he said, I, I, could, I could wish myself a curse. So having that kind of heart's desire that people would accept it, yes, is important. But as far as sharing the gospel, whatever someone does, that result is not up to me. I am just responsible to share the gospel message. And if I will take the message, then look, some will. And some won't. But I just need to be faithful. So there's two problems. There's a problem with the people who won't go, and there's a problem with the people who hear who won't accept. And the truth is you're, you're really, you might find, find yourself in one or the other. If you hear, you never believed. Then here's the message. You need to be saved. And God wants to save you, and God's willing to save you. And Jesus came for that reason. He died and was buried and rose again. And if you'll believe him, that he did that for you and for your sin, you can be saved today. If you're saved, then go and tell people this message. Don't complicate it. Don't make it some deep thing that we got to have 40 different things in our outline in order to help someone understand. It's simple. Share the news. That's what missions is all about. It's understanding. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. They can't hear, verse 14 and verse 15, without a preacher. You say, well, he said you can't preach unless you've been sent. You've been sent. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you got the calling. So share the message. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.